You're listening to the Ottoman History Podcast. To find out more about today's topic or check out some of our other episodes, along with maps, images, documents, and other materials related to the history of the Ottoman Empire and the modern Middle East, visit us on the web at ottomanhistorypodcast.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Chris Grayton. And I am Nir Shafir. Today's episode is on the subject of religious pluralism in the Ottoman Balkans. Our guest is Nathalie Kleyer. She's a senior researcher at CNRS, that's the National Center for Scientific Research uh, in France. And we're recording uh, at Setobak, which is the center for... Turkish, Ottoman, Balkans, and Central Asian Studies, more or less, at the EHESS uh, in Paris. Professor Claire, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Uh, I'm very happy to be with you today. It's great to have you here. Uh, Professor Claire is a very accomplished scholar publishing in both French and uh, English on a variety of subjects related um, to religion, the history of uh, the Ottoman and post-Ottoman Balkans. We'll mention two of her works. You can find more listed on our website. She has a book on the Halvatia movement uh, entitled Les Halvati dans leur Balkanique, Mystique, État et Société. That's out from Brill. And another book that's a very interesting study, Aux Origines du Nationalisme Albanais. That's a study of Albanian nationalism in the Ottoman Empire. So if you're interested in that topic, it's probably one of the books you should uh, read. Today's conversation, as we said, is on the subject of religious pluralism, which ties in with a lot of these uh, subjects relating to religious movements, obviously like the Helvetia, Sufi movements, also um, national and ethnic identities as they come to be known in the 19th and 20th century. And so what we'll try to do is, through the example of the Ottoman Balkans, uh, reframe the discussion uh, on the issue of religion and identity uh, in the late Ottoman Empire. So, Professor Claire, maybe to start our discussion, um, I'd like to ask about this issue of religious pluralism in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, in global historiography, the Ottoman Empire is quite known as a space of religious pluralism, and that's usually described through the millet system, the different um, religious communities that are governed partially by their own uh, rules in a hierarchical manner within the Ottoman system. Of course, there's many reasons why this framework has been seen as problematic by Ottoman historians. Um, maybe you could uh, explain your approach to religious pluralism and kind of explain some of the tensions or, or, or problems created by the Milat framework. My approach is uh, the following. In fact, I first worked for a first uh, book that uh, we did on uh, conflicting loyalties. Mm-hmm. I worked on the... Um, a phenomenon which I called a confessionalization mm-hmm. at the end of the uh, Ottoman period, taking the example of uh, religious conflicts mm-hmm. that uh, uh, broke out in uh, in Kosovo at the beginning of the 20th century, and uh, because I think that during these last years of the uh, Ottoman rule in the Balkans, uh, we had such a tension around a religion that not only we, we think about the rise of uh, nationalisms yeah. uh, during this period mm-hmm. but in fact at that time we had also 
a kind of uh, yes of strengthening of uh, religious uh, boundaries and uh, and also uh, conflicts which had to uh, which were related not only to uh, uh, this new uh, nationalism mm -hmm. but also to a uh, religion sure. but on the other side i wanted to show so and i i did it in an, another study that there were also these boundaries were very often crossed and so that in fact, uh, the idea that uh, the, the religious communities were fixed and they were uh, very strong was, right. uh, was problematic. Sure. And that we, uh, we need, in fact, a more uh, dynamic model right. uh, than to think about uh, the existence of, uh, of religious communities, so millets, mm -hmm. very yeah. mm -hmm. uh, fixed, and, uh, and uh, yeah, this was the, the idea. Right, and, and the millet system, I mean, as a system, is kind of institutionalized during the 19th century, so how can we speak of rigid boundaries before there's even a more uh, formalized version of it, and in fact, the fluidity, the porousness of, of these boundaries, and of course, the many types of religious practice that are completely outside of the institutional framework of the millets are uh, very central to a lot of the changes in identity that are taking place. Yes, because the problem also to deal the, the issue of religious uh, pluralism through uh, mm -hmm. the concept of millet is to, in fact, to adopt an official and a very uh, top-down um, right. uh, view. If we think also about the society from below, mm -hmm. I think that we have to adopt another model and not to speak. So, Millet, there is a problem. We, you know that, that in fact, it, it has not the same meaning uh, before mm -hmm. the 19th century, before the institutionalization of, the, of this system. In fact, mm -hmm. the system mm -hmm. did not exist before. Yeah. But also, I, I think that the main problem is this. If we look from below, we have to think in another way. Right. And, and there's a couple questions that come to mind in your research that you address, which is one, how do we study conversion within the Millet system? Two, how do we study syncretism or in-between kind of things or mysticism, things that are outside the Millet system? And of course, how do we understand how other identities, national, ethnic, linguistic identities are tied to these categories. Yeah, in fact, I, I tried to think about the problem in asking other questions. For example, for if uh, there are boundaries, there are boundaries for people in the in in the mind of people or of the uh, administration or uh, uh, political elites, but also of the of the the, the, the people and but these boundaries are uh, built, in fact. Mm -hmm. And so there are boundaries, but also there are contacts. Yeah. And so what kind of contacts are there in the society? So this was the, 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 the question that I tried to, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to put. And then, so I... Um, I thought that we can maybe categorize the um, the types of contacts that are between groups. 
And, uh, and these types of contacts will also determine the way boundaries are formed, are strengthened, mm -hmm. are erased, etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of these uh, type of contacts was, it was of course uh, linked to conversion. But uh, if, if we uh, think about this uh, issue of conversion, and especially taking the uh, some uh, uh, concrete cases that I saw in the sources concerning uh, the Albanian provinces, for example. And uh, I saw that, for example, the problem for the Christian missionaries, the Catholic missionaries, mm -hmm. was that some Catholics were uh, fasting during the Ramadan or were taking... Um, Muslim names, things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they were not, they did not convert to Islam, but in fact, they took some, uh, they adopted some elements of the of the Islamic religion, and some of them um, uh, even uh, uh, went further and con officially converted, but. Yeah. In order to describe this kind of uh, contacts, in fact, I, I thought that maybe we can use a category which is different, which is not the category of conversion, but the category of going towards. So going towards. Uh, and then you can put in this category conversion, the official mm -hmm. conversion, conversions, but also what I, I, I told you so this kind of adopting uh, practices or beliefs of the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the examples. That's, that's a very interesting way of, of putting it, kind of uh, people being in a state of a certain relationship towards uh, some other religion rather than hard, fast boundary of, say, conversion. I think before we go further into this discussion, we need to set up the context a little bit for our listeners, what the late Ottoman Balkans were like in terms of religion. Some of the... Uh, what was the landscape like? Who was there? You mentioned there's missionaries undergoing new activities, but there's also a long-standing uh, heterogeneity that's very, very in intensely local in the Balkans. So maybe you could just try to <laughs> give us a little overview of that. It's important, I think, to know that uh, the Ottoman Balkans were, till the end of the Ottoman rule, majority Christians. Mm -hmm. But there were regions, micro uh, regions, where Muslims were uh, dominant uh, numerically. Uh, so it, it depended on, on the, the, the regions, but uh, so for example, the Western uh, Balkans, not in the sense that uh, we use it today, the expression Western Balkans, related to the EU mm -hmm. uh, mm. uh, Entrance, so, uh, but in these uh, regions of the western fringe of the of the Balkans, the Muslims were dominant uh, numerically. Uh, there were also orth Orthodox Christians, of course. They uh, in the Balkans as a whole, uh, the, the the Orthodox Christians were. Uh, the, the most numerous, but uh, you know that uh, uh, in the late Ottoman uh, Empire, so the uh, Christian Orthodox uh, millet, 
split into uh, different uh, groups the the groups related to the uh, to the Bulgarian exarchate uh, others uh, related to the uh, to the room patriarchate and also there is another group uh, which uh, split uh, around 1905 it was the the vlach uh, group uh, so the Tinsar or Kutsovalak, and uh, and they were not recognized officially as a millet, but uh, they could they they had um, a kind of uh, autonomy within the uh, the the milleti room. Mm-hmm. So a sub millet of yeah, and there was also, also Jews, small groups of Jews, Catholics. The Catholics were not recognized also as a millet. So you see, even that mm-hmm. with this uh, yeah, exactly. um, notion of millet, even you cannot describe all the, the even the official situations. So the the in fact the uh, Catholics were uh, dependent on uh, treaties between the Ottoman Empire and uh, uh, Austria-Hungary or Mm -hmm. France or even Italy at the end also in the Balkans tried to to have a kind of, uh, uh, not mandate, but uh, something like that on the Catholics. Uh, And within this, there's also much... And, diversity and within the Muslim community yeah, yeah, itself. Yeah, exactly. I right. wanted to uh, to add this also uh, the 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 Muslims. So there is the problem also when we speak about millet. We we uh, and here we have uh, really uh, a power question within mm-hmm. the, the Muslim community because uh, if we say the Muslims, we do not recognize. As did the uh, the official uh, religious authority and uh, also political authority, the heterogeneity mm-hmm. of, of the uh, of the Muslim community. So the Kuzelbash, uh, uh, so the 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 Alevis of today, they were not so present in the Balkans a bit. So they were present in the in the eastern part. Yeah. So in today. Uh, uh, a bit Romania, but Bulgaria yeah. and uh, Trace, uh, Western Trace, uh, but also the different tariqats. So the 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 problem of the tariqat, not the problem, but the uh, the fact is that the uh, Islam of the different uh, tariqats could be uh, more or less. Orthodox or more or less heterodox. So these categories of orthodox, heterodox being, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, very political. Very uh, mm-hmm. so there is an authority who decide uh, what is orthodox and sure. what is not uh, heterodox. So t- it's very subjective and political. And as we know from the work of Salim Deringil in the Ottoman context, a lot of this happened very late under the reign of Abdul Hamid II, which is. Mm not even necessarily relevant for many parts of the Balkans, so not even subject to some of the things uh, that are going on in terms of establishing orthodoxy uh, in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, maybe there were periods, uh, former periods, yeah. where uh, there was also um, a kind of a trying to uh, establish an orthodoxy. For example, in the 16th century, during the Ottoman uh, Safavid uh, conflicts, mm-hmm. so the this 
uh, issue of orthodoxy and heterodoxy yeah. was also at play. Yeah, and it, it it gives you a sense of just how important and how useful. This. For example, you use the the idea of going towards, which is just one of the types of in between statuses we'll describe in this podcast. But they're really essential for understanding both Muslim and Christian practice. I know I've I've seen documents in the archives about. Uh, trying to institute circumcision among Muslims in the Balkans, for example, in regions where, according to these documents, many Muslim men were never circumcised, meaning they were not adopting an Islamic practice or maintaining a, uh, what it would be a Christian practice, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, non-practice and in this case. W- with your example, we uh, we see what I wanted also to explain that then, uh, if we look at this kind of uh, of context, then we we have also to look at, uh, in these circumstances, if there is an authority, be it religious or political mm-hmm. or both, who tried to, because of that, uh, to establish or to to, uh, to strengthen a, a boundary mm-hmm. which uh, does not exist in this case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you see, they will say, Oh, we have so to circumcise these uh, these people, or we have to make them not uh, um, practice the Ramadan if they are Catholics, yeah. and so it helps us uh, look at the uh, so the different actors also which are uh, um, playing in this um, making or erasing of uh, of boundaries. Listening to this discussion, I feel like there's a great deal of uh, interesting thought here about developing a conception of religious uh, transformation, religious difference and similarity that goes well beyond the kind of static framework or the top-down framework of the Millet system. And I really enjoy this um, way of conceiving religion as kind of going towards um, different types of poles or different, you know, yeah, I, poles of identity, and I, it seems from our discussion though that the two poles here are either you know either Muslim or Christian, and I was wondering, are those the only two poles? Is is it this kind of more dichotomous one or the other type of world, or is there different ways of conceiving this? Are there multiple directions that people could be moving towards, rather than Muslim or Christian? No, you're right. I think that. Uh we should not uh, consider that uh, it's like, you know, in the transfer studies also, Mm -hmm. we have also the same problem that uh, uh, transfer is uh, very often uh, um, uh, thought as being something transferred from A to B. Mm -hmm. uh, So now in the transfer studies, we uh, consider that A and B are also changed by the right. by the transfer. So here it's a bit different, but of course that if there is this going toward uh, from A to B, no, it's also the there is not uh, A so well defined and B uh, so well defined. So at the same time, the boundary is uh, built through these moves. And uh, through the what the authorities are trying to do in order to prevent or to uh, or to stimulate mm-hmm. uh, such a, a move, but also it means that A and B 
are considerably um, heterogeneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and so the religion of 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 people has. Uh, so maybe it's very difficult to uh, to imagine the religion of people in uh, studying the uh, the sources that we we used to um to 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 read for right. example right. you know because we already are, have our own categories yeah. of religion and our yeah. expectations of what those should be and a presumption of what yeah. is proper muslim or christian uh practice and then we try to categorize people into that as well and, yeah. yeah but we have also to admit that for example if you if we look also at the um the social uh level that it was very clear that at that time there were also Christian and uh, Muslim groups, and for example, intermarriages mm-hmm. were not impossible because there was also this uh, habit to for Muslims to take uh, eventually uh, uh, Christian uh, girls. So here again, we have not a clear. Sure. Get groups, but uh, but grouping. So so maybe mm-hmm. we have to speak more on grouping, group making. That uh, groups. All right, welcome back to Ottoman History Podcast. Chris Grayton and Nir Shafir here talking with Nathalie Claire about her research on religious pluralism in the Ottoman Balkans. Uh, for a reading list, a bibliography associated with this podcast, check out our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com. We also find uh, other episodes that will uh, be relevant to today's discussion. In effect, uh, Professor Claire, w- some of the things you're saying reminds me of a previous conversation. Indeed, one of our most popular episodes, which was a, an interview with Zeynep Turkilmaz about her research on people who she describes as neither Muslim nor Christian in Ottoman Anatolia. And in addition to these people who are going towards, and in addition to all the group-making activities that are both official and unofficial, you do kind of have these people in the Ottoman Empire who seem to consciously play with the boundaries and a certain identity that is distinctively neither nor. I mean, she argues for a, for a purpose, not just they're confused or vacillating, but in fact that this in and of itself is a phenomenon. So maybe building on this discussion of how to look at group making and, and, and study these boundaries, you could talk about, is this something that we see in the Balkans as well? These, these communities that would be labeled as crypto-Christians, like secret Christians, saying they're sometimes Muslims. Is this uh, a similar phenomenon taking place? Yes, of course. And I have to admit that uh, the, the study of uh, Zeynep Tökelmaz was uh, very inspiring for me. I found the uh, same uh, phenomena in, in the Balkans. Uh, for example, in the region, a region called... Uh, uh, Sobska Tsarnagora. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a region uh, today um, just uh, between the Kosovo and Macedonia. And uh, and w- what is very interesting is that it is a region uh, also uh, geopolitically very similar to what uh, uh, Zeynep uh, studied. So um, 
um, mountain regions and also mining also. So also the uh, uh, socially and uh, economically it, it's uh, very similar. So right. I think that it's not so strange to have the same uh, phenomenon here. There is also another region in uh, central Albania. So the uh, region near the the town of Elbasan, the mm-hmm. the region of Spat, and here I. I don't know exactly if there were uh, mines, maybe, mm-hmm. but uh, otherwise the region also is very is very similar. So I think it's similar uh, in what sense that it's mountainous or that it's yeah uh, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So Z- so Zainab study has these communities in, in the mountains of Anatolia who are engaged in this mining industry that's emerging, like migrant labor, seasonal labor, and all these types of things. And at various points in time, they declare that they had been. Um, Muslims, but it actually maintained their Christian identity and want to reassert that identity mm-hmm. at various points in times. And this is happening as mm. well. They reassert, but they uh, keep what is interesting. Yeah. They keep their double identity, yeah. in fact. Like the Muslim names yeah. and this type so, of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why at the same time, as I wrote in the in my paper, it's, it's uh, n- neither nor, but yeah. also... Um, both, right? In fact, kind of one uh, foot yeah. in each. And what is <laughs> very interesting, and I found uh, this also in the study of uh, Zeynep, it's uh, that also, in a way, the authorities are keeping for them this double identity because they are registered with the special under a special um, category. Mm-hmm. And I found that in the case of uh, of Kosovo and this uh, region of Tsarnagora, it's uh, no, it's uh, not Serbska. I said it's a Skopska. Yeah, Skopska. Not it's. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, I made a mistake. So and also the Catholic authority registered these people also under a special uh, category mm-hmm. occultis. So the. So I just want to go into a bit more detail. You know, so in this area of. Uh, Ternagora, what motivated these communities uh, in the mountains, whether if they're involved in mining and so forth, what motivated them to kind of put their foot, put one foot in each tradition to kind of claim both identities or no identities? Kind of what was the push in this period that led to this? No, in fact, I think that they were pushed to... uh to assert a double identity because of uh, of their interaction mm-hmm. uh, with different uh, types of actors. So it was not conscious right. we want to have a double identity. No, course, it was yeah. not. It was more the circumstances which made them. It's for example, uh, they they were officially Muslims, but. At a certain moment, because also of the increasing presence of uh, Christian missionaries, mm-hmm. and because the uh, it, it was in order to escape the circumscriptions, mm-hmm. they wanted to declare themselves Christians. So, but and then so it's it's a kind of uh, it's the result. But the fact is that. It's the result of an interaction with different uh, kind of actors, mm-hmm. and it's in. Uh, I said uh, earlier uh, in this conversation that, mm-hmm. in fact, if we look at the underground, at the 
what is religion for people it's something which has nothing to do with the what how religion is defined mm-hmm. from from the top so and for for them for these groups uh it was the same and it's only the result of the of the uh the constraints um put on them by the authorities and also the uh, the moves that they they, um, they uh, tried to to make that led to this situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I I see what you're trying to say that it's a combination of factors. Uh, you know whether the Ottoman state uh, having an increased yeah. presence trying to conscript these conscript these people or Catholic missionaries with their own conceptions of religion, each of them is trying to kind of bring their own categories of religion to this area and force it upon these people. And they are trying to negotiate this uh, set of categories and categorization process. Yeah, and this this is issue of, of, I guess, options and sort of like what signing up for one category or what maintaining another category offers. Um, our compelling way of illustrating, as you say, the history of religion from the bottom up, looking at the agency of communities and and, and um, processes that from the top down look very coercive. And the example that comes to mind for me is Nusairis or Alawites, today's Alawites in Syria during the late Ottoman period, who actually, if you look at the archival record, are going and they are offering themselves as loyal uh, Sunni Muslims to the Ottoman state in exchange for certain kinds of um, benefits like having representation in the government and... Uh, having access to schools and things that they wanted, things that maybe missionaries were offering, for mm-hmm. example, if we look at the period of Abdul Hamid II. So you really do see more of a agency when we take this uh, this approach, I guess you could say. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, but I was thinking about uh, the, the parallel that we can do with the national identities. Yeah. Mm. Uh, maybe I'm diverging from your question, but uh, I think it's very important also to think about this uh, parallel uh, because maybe religion seems to us more primordial. Yeah, uh, more fundamental than, uh, almost. Yeah, more fundamental than uh, uh, national identities. But in fact, uh, very often now we think also that ne- people are... Albanian, Turks, uh, Greeks, and so on. Or right. uh, so, but in fact, it is uh, the same. The uh, when this um, idea of nation was um, spread uh, from the 19th century on, even before there was also an idea of nation, but yeah. it was the different. So maybe in the 19th century, an idea of nation. Uh, bond to the idea also of nation state mm-hmm. so uh it's uh, the, the we have to um think about how people or group of people use this idea in the framework of social political relations
All right, welcome back to Ottoman History Podcast. Once again, Chris Grayton and Nir Shafir here talking to Professor Natalie Kleyer about her research on religious pluralism in the Ottoman Balkans. The song you just heard is a song you may have heard before on the podcast. It's from our friends at Mohtelif, um, a band uh, in Istanbul. One of the members is Nurcin Eleri, one of our friends, and they perform songs in a number of languages, uh, not just Turkish, but also Armenian, Greek, and Kurdish. Thought it was a nice... Uh, um, Arabic as well, I shouldn't forget. Thought it was a nice compliment uh, for today's discussion. So, Professor Claire, I do want to return to the subject that's been raised here of nationalism and the relationship between religious identity and national identity. Maybe these things are sometimes separate. Maybe these things are very much intertwined, as we'll talk about in just a bit. But I wanted to pause and kind of offer the opportunity to talk a little bit about your research experience on these topics, because you've been working on the subject of uh, the history of the Balkans for a few decades now. And the Balkans have changed so much. I'm just wondering about sort of the process and how change in access to sources or change in, in the contemporary politics of the Balkans has sort of uh, influenced your own thinking on topics and, and your research questions. Of course, I'm sure we are always influenced by uh, what what uh, happens around us. And uh, uh, for example, when I began to um, to work on the um, on the Balkans, it was about the the Turuk, the Tarikat, so the the Devish orders in Albania. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was it was in the second half of the eighties, mm. and at that time, uh, religion was forbidden in in communist mm-hmm. Albania, so it was not possible to to go there. So I had to uh, to use only uh, material um, uh, which I found in uh, different libraries mm-hmm. in uh, in uh, in Turkey or in uh, Austria, in France, etc. Except that I. I at that time, also, I went to uh, to the States because there mm-hmm. there was a, a very important um, a person who founded uh, a Bektashi Teke near Detroit, Babare yeah. JP. So it, I, I did field work on uh, Albanian Bektashism in the States. Right. Uh, and uh, then uh, my PhD was on uh, the Halvetie, as you said. Uh, no, it was one of uh, the book uh, you mentioned. And uh, at that time, I was working in, uh, especially in Istanbul, in the archives, because I, uh, for this uh, book, I, I also um, uh, work on the Ottoman uh, period. And then it was, I, I was in, uh, as I said, in Istanbul, it was in uh, 91, 92, 93. Mm-hmm. It was just the period when this uh, uh, huge changes happened in the Balkans right. with the the fall of communism, and uh, especially the opening of uh, of Albania, and then also the different wars in uh, in Yugoslavia. So it was, uh, you know, it was a bit contradictory because mm-hmm. at the same time, I uh, had now the possibility to uh, go to Albania, for mm-hmm. example, and to work in the archives on the field. Um, because working on uh, on the Sufism and uh, on the Dervish orders, you need to to work very much on uh, also uh, to 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 make interviews because there are not so much sure. um, written sources, so many written sources. But as as I said, at at the same time, w- because of these wars and because of the uh, the tensions 
it was also difficult to go to uh, in in certain uh, eras mm -hmm. and also it was also difficult to uh, at the time i i began also to work on on nationalism albanian nationalism uh, during the ottoman period but 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 what what happened a uh, hundred years after has also uh, consequences and uh, and uh, you cannot imagine how it was first i was also uh with my colleagues pushed to as a specialist of the region to also to to work on the uh the the situation the present situation right the contemporary so contemporary yeah. situation so i also i did some uh, some studies we published for example a book le nouvel islam balkanique which was yeah. about islam in the balkans in the 1990s uh so you know i i, I began to also to work on this uh, period uh, as an expert even mm -hmm. if i was an historian right and also it was sometimes very difficult to um to have um um let's say um um this uh, quite uh, discussions or discussions without these uh, tensions of uh, sure. Uh, between uh, inter-ethnic, inter uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, tensions. So it it was it was very special, very special. And it's a it's a it's a fascinating story. Although I think that a lot of people are probably experiencing similar things who are in the field of Middle East studies right now and watching the region change so rapidly. You start out in the '80s with religion essentially being a uh, a suppressed, uh, an underground subject uh, in the Balkans. Then the, the end of communism, lots of polarization surrounding both religious and ethnic identities, but also an opening up. And then you have, as you said, this sort of revival of religious identities, including um, uh, mysticism or Sufi orders and, and Islam in the Balkans, which, mm -hmm. is, which is going on today. I mean, uh, this is one of the things I find most fascinating traveling through places like Albania and Kosovo is that you go... Uh, as you drive through these places, you encounter um, in city after city these revived and rebuilt, you know, Bektashi, Tekez, whether in Girokaster and Tetovo or in Prizren. And I mean, I was amazed at this kind of like this new religious revivalism of different sorts that I was uh, I was ex witnessing. Uh, kind of across a landscape of, I guess, greater Albania. Um, and I was wondering, so maybe to tie it back into our earlier discussions, kind of what are the forces behind the kind of reconfessionalization or the confessionalization religious revival in the kind of 21st century Albania uh, that we witness today as we can, as okay. the country becomes more and more open to researchers? Different things that first... You see, there is the problem when you, someone like you, drive right. uh, around this. Uh, the, you will see first. You see, you 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 say the big tashes, but uh, the uh, the problem is that uh, that people from uh, uh, the uh, outside have um, already made uh, images. Mm -hmm. So Albania, it's Bektashism. And whereas, in fact, 
many of these tariqas are not Bektashi at all. Right. They, uh, they belong to other tariqats. Right. Uh, but it's very important because the actors will play also on this. And, it's, uh, and I can explain this. And in my book, I, I try to explain this that already mm-hmm. uh, in the last Ottoman uh, period, uh, Bektashism was used by the uh, uh, by the Albanian nationalists, the Albanianists, and also by the Young Turks and so on. But so there is um, yes a religious uh, revival, uh, but there is also a religious revival uh, in Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Or in the states, so we have also to take this. So these regions are also reconnecting uh, themselves with the outside world. So Yugoslavia was already connected, uh, but uh, Albania not, and so they uh, again are connected to net networks, transnational networks, mm-hmm. uh, and so they are connected with transnational processes. Right. But at the same time, what you do not see very well when you are just crossing with a car this, uh, and visiting these areas, you maybe uh, do not grasp very well how far these uh, societies were secularized mm-hmm. during the, uh, the communist period. Right, yeah. And, you know, I mean, maybe to tie it back into our discussion of nationalism, uh, we, we recently had an episode with the architectural historian, Kishvar Rizvi, art and architectural historian, uh, on uh, what she calls transnational mosques, mosques built by Muslim nation states, often in other states. And one of the examples she briefly mentioned was the Saudi mosques that are being built uh, in Kosovo mm-hmm. uh, at present, which are also kind of playing a role in the reconfessionalization of the Balkans, uh, sort of as outside players. So to conclude this discussion, and I mean, there's all sorts of, directions we can take it sort of all the nuances of understanding decades of change that happened for example during the soviet period is, is or the communist period is something we definitely have would have to talk about but maybe to you know to conclude i want to tie back into the question of nationalism um national national identities are usually ethno-linguistic um sometimes they overlap or are compounded by a religious identity for example turkish identity during the early republic was a, pre, a good prerequisite of being Turkish was also being Muslim. So sometimes there's an overlap. On the other hand, sometimes, um, you know, these uh, identities can um, conflict with religious boundaries. For example, Muslims and Christians who both speak the same language, which we find all throughout the Ottoman Empire. So in this period in which religious pluralism is, is transforming during the late Ottoman and then into the post-Ottoman 20th century period, what can you say about the interplay between uh, emerging national identities uh, and shifting religious identities. So I think it's a very important question, and uh, the, to answer to answer it, the Albanian case is uh, very heuristic, mm. heuristic, because in the Albanian case, precisely you have people speaking the same language and belonging to different uh, religious mm-hmm. uh, communities. So Christian Orthodox, Catholics, uh, Muslims, Muslims of different uh, groups. And so what, uh, what happened uh, when this idea of uh, the existence of an Albanian nation 
uh, came up in the 19th century, uh, there you were, in fact, um, as I tried to show in my book on uh, Albanian nationalism during this period, even in the uh, in this Albanian case, religion was very important in the building of a national identity, mm-hmm. especially when uh, the uh, its promoters tried to mobilize on the ground. Yeah. So it means that either this Albanianist had to invent a kind of uh, common religious community. So, for example, saying there is only one God, we have all one and the same God, or we have the same origin, uh, mm-hmm. the same, even we had the, the, the same religion, the religion of the Pelagians, which was mm-hmm. uh, um, an ancient uh, mythical group uh, before even before the antiquity or we have also uh, divergent uh, construction of an Albanian national identity so um, a more Muslim uh, Albanian identity or a more Catholic Albanian identity or more Christian Orthodox Albanian mm-hmm. identity so it because it and it's always like this there are uh, at the same time, different way of uh, expressing or forging a national identity. So, and in, in the Albanian case, it's more because, for example, you mentioned also the uh, the Turkish case mm-hmm. in the, at the beginning of the Republic. So, because uh, the Christians had been eliminated, or mm-hmm. mm, so after the the the, the Armenian genocide, so. It, it was easier to say, okay, the Turk, uh, a Turk is a Muslim, and uh, uh, in the Albanian case, it was uh, it was not so so easy. That's why there were there was always uh, tensions sure. between this different way of of building a, a national identity. So, was there a Albanian nationalist movement that contained both Muslims and Christians? Because yes. Um, in the in the case of Arab nationalism, we have this right. Some of the early prominent yeah. Arab nationalists are Christians; others are Muslims. Yes, there were Christians, there were Muslims, and but the uh, at the beginning, some of them do, did not consider uh, religion as a basis for the national identity. But as I said, when they wanted to mobilize, they were obliged to use. Mm. Uh, religion and then it means that uh, they were or they could have also even one activist can also have different discourses when you uh, want for example to uh, uh, legitimize uh, an Albanian the existence of an Albanian nation uh, when you speak to uh, the great powers you will say something when you speak to your co-nationalists you nationals you will uh, say something else mm-hmm. also it depends always the discourse uh, depends to uh, the public it is uh, addressed to and is, these tensions are still unresolved I guess in the case of Albanian yeah, nationalism yeah, we can say that. Yeah. now these tensions are uh, linked to the the present situation and uh, so and the the so 
so social and political competition uh, in Albania or even in, in Kosovo mm. or in Macedonia because now we have different um, uh, different states where right. uh, Albanians are living. So, And it's interesting to see how in, in the presence of these sort of secular imaginaries of national belonging, alternatives to mm. confessional frameworks ultimately... The, the nature of, of religious identity is, is, a, is, in fact, an impediment to uh, mm. creating um, those uh, different types of imaginaries and uh, sort of and dictates the outcome. And I want to, to add something that we have also to make parallels between the, uh, the development of national identities and uh, the development of religious identities at the end of the 19th century because also the, the, the way to imagine... Uh, religious belonging evolved also during yeah. this period also and uh, very often for the same reason as for the uh, national identity for example the the use of the printing it makes also the religious identification yeah. evolve right as it did for the the national uh, identification right i mean that's that's a great point to conclude on sort of for people who are thinking of studying this topic further you know so much has been written on the transformation of nationalism during the 19th and 20th century what it meant the movement from nationalism as a as a, as a political movement to being a nation state and then onward uh but during the same time period religion has received considerably less scrutiny and so i really appreciate you um, bringing these two subjects together in, in your work in general of course but also on the podcast today and sharing um, all this interesting conversation with us thank you very much uh, we also want to thank our listeners for tuning in remind them uh, to check out the website ottomanhistorypodcast.com for a reading lists associated with today's podcast and other relevant episodes want to remind them to check out some of the series we have up there one of them is uh, curated by our own near shafir in the room with us today the series on history of science, Ottoman and otherwise, uh, a very exciting series to subscribe to. And we uh, want you guys to follow those, whether through the blog or through uh, our Facebook group, our, which is now at over 20,000 strong. That's all for this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next time. And until then, take care.